Hello, everybody. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. This is Michael Lombardo. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are starting a new series entitled The Lie of Separation. This will be a much shorter series from my previous one entitled First Love Fire. That was 10 parts. If you want to go back into the archives, you can tap into that. Um, But we are starting a new series entitled The Lie of Separation. I believe this is a very important message and series here. If this is a new thought for you, um, some things that I dive into, if you never heard those things before, just know this is well studied out. You can go in the church history. There are many early church fathers that believed this, as well as many in the Trinitarian stream today that are alive and well teaching this. And it's a different perspective, okay? And it's not splitting hairs here. There's a very important subject in the terms of we need to know how the Father views sin, how the Father treats us when we do sin and when we're trapped in darkness. Is he withdrawing himself? Is he forsaking us? Is he is he um, turning his back on us because he can't look upon sin. He's too holy to look upon sin. Well, Jesus declared that, and in the scriptures it declares that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so we need to dive into this here. And this is based on Matthew 27, verse 46. I'm just going to dive right in. And these different series here, this series I'm going to tackle one question specifically. Did the Father truly forsake Jesus on the cross? And then in part two, I'm going to talk about in terms of New Covenant believers, how we need to uh, have a perspective of no separation and how that is very, very important. And we're going to continue upon that. But on this episode, I'm going to tackle Matthew 27, 46 and give you a, a biblical foundation here. So this is Jesus. He uh, went through suffering. He was ridiculed, beaten, um, ripped to shreds, his back tore off, the, his blood being spilt upon the ground, being nailed to the cross, just the most brutal uh, suffering you could have experienced in his time under the Roman government. And so this is horrific. He is on the cross and he is taking on the sin of the world into his body. Okay, he is receiving the sin of the world. He is dying on our behalf and receiving the sin of the world. And so taking away the sins of the world, just like John the Baptist said. And so this is, I'm just going to read what Jesus uttered in the cross, his famous words. Uh, This is verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. I think that's how you pronounce it. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so did the father truly forsake Jesus? Was the Trinity of God separated or detached or suspended when Jesus was on the cross? Was there ever a time when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were not one? Because Jesus said, me and my Father, we are one. And the Holy Spirit is the very Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Trinity, this is Trinitarian theology here. Was there ever a time? And was it when Jesus was on the cross that the Father literally forsook the Son? Did that happen? Was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit separated while Jesus was on the cross. I don't believe so. And I'm going to dive into this. Why is this so important? Why are we even teaching on this? Because it affects how we view God and how we view our relationship with God when we sin. Does the Father turn his back on us? Does he forsake us? Are we now separated from him when we sin and then we repent and then he comes back or he draws close at that point? And so there's a paradigm shift in the mind of believers that that need to be adjusted here so that we could walk in continual unbroken fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we need to highlight and emphasize the finished work of the cross. And not only that, we need to truly examine and gain revelation on what Jesus did for us. 
This is the most important thing. This is the centrality of the gospel. What did Jesus do in his life, his incarnation, his death, his, his, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension? What did Christ accomplish on our behalf? It is unbroken union and so much more. And so we have certain mentalities from scriptures like this that we might not have the right biblical paradigm that affect how we approach God when we sin, affect our view of, of the Father. And, and, oh, he's too holy to look upon me when I sin. And we know there's some scriptures there that we need to break down to prove otherwise. But this is where we're going here today. I truly believe that Jesus was not forsaken by the Father on the cross. And I've heard many say, well, Jesus experienced separation from God on that cross so that we will never experience separation again, meaning it was a part of his redemptive work that Jesus on the cross experienced separation because we experience separation as unbelievers because if we die and go to hell, we experience separation from God. And so on that cross, it was a part of his redemptive work that separation on that when sin came into Jesus' body and that darkness engrossed the cross and engrossed the Son of God when he was receiving our sin, that the Father had to look away, that the Father had to forsake the Son because the Father cannot be present or the Father cannot be looking upon sin. And so all of humanity is able to look upon the cross. We're able to teach the cross, preach the cross, go into the depths of revelation regarding the cross, but the Father cannot. The Father could not look upon the Son when he was dying for the sin of the world. The Father sent Jesus to the cross, but he could not be in union with Jesus while he was on the cross. He cannot be looking upon the Son when he was on the cross. I just don't feel like that is accurate. And there's a lot of church history, a lot of biblical teaching that will... Um, confirm this line of thinking but just we we've heard it one way for so long that it's hard to digest sometimes but i understand when people say this thing that jesus was experienced separation from god on the cross and that we will never experience separation again it feels good it sounds right um but i think it goes much deeper than that and so when jesus said my god why have you forsaken me what was he truly saying in the fall you know adam and eve they walked with god in the cool of the day they were able to experience his presence, experience his glory. Not only that, they were able to see in the realm of the spirit. They were able to see in the realm of the spirit in a sense that I believe they were able to see the angels. They were able to see God. They were able to hear God's voice clearly, see visions, dream dreams. There was literally no separation between God and Adam and Eve. And so when they sinned and darkness came upon them and sin entered in, the transgression entered in, one thing that happened is they lost the glory that they once had. Their relationship with God was disrupted. And I'm going to go into that in part two. But one thing that they lost was their spiritual sight and their spiritual hearing. They were no longer able to see in the spirit like they once were. They, they weren't able to hear the voice of God clearly because of sin. And that's what Jesus said when he walked the earth. He said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Those who have eyes to see, let them see. So there are people who don't have eyes to see. There are people who don't have ears to hear. And like Jesus said in the book of Revelation, he said, to those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. So this is the verbiage of the Lord. If you have ears to hear, let them hear. If you have eyes to see, let them see. So I believe that what Jesus was doing in his life, death, and resurrection, among many other ways, he was restoring us. Um, he did such a, a multi, there was such a multifaceted work in so many areas that needed redemption and so much included in the cross and his and his life and death there's so much that he, he has put in this beautiful inheritance in the saints for us but one of it is our spiritual sight 
is now regained. Our spiritual hearing is now open. For those who are unbelievers that are walking around the world, they're not born again. They, they do not have the Spirit of God indwelling them. They God is moving all around them. He may even be speaking to them and wooing them, but they do not recognize it to be God. They are deaf and blind to what the Lord is trying to say and do because of that spiritual death and that spiritual blindness and deafness. And the scripture talks about that. It does not mean that God is not in their lives, wooing them, drawing them to himself. It doesn't mean that he has turned his back on them. No, the Holy Spirit is wooing unbelievers to himself. They're trying to, the father is, 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 is longing for a relationship with them. So there's no way that humanity could even come to God unless the Holy Spirit of God draws humanity and gives humanity a revelation of Jesus. And when we get a revelation of Jesus as unbelievers, we encounter God or we see something in the scriptures or someone is telling us about the Lord and we get a revelation of Jesus and the, and the gospel hits our heart. The spiritual blinders come off. And the, and the spiritual deafness begins to open up in our ears. That happened to me when I encountered Jesus Christ for the first time and the presence of the Lord filled my heart and I experienced him in a tangible way. I began to hear the voice of God in my in my day-to-day life. I began to get dreams that came from the Lord. I, I was walking around and I would I would see visions. I'd lay in my bed and I would begin to see visions. I had this this spiritual connection between me and God was restored. Does that mean that God wasn't operating in my life as an unbeliever? Absolutely not. He was protecting me and saving me from harm. He was wooing my heart. God was not, he didn't turn his back on me completely and was just hoping that one day I would get it and I would stumble into the truth. No, he was relentlessly pursuing my heart, even as an unbeliever when I was trapped in sin. But when I came to faith and I was born again and spirit filled, my spiritual eyes opened, my spiritual ears opened. I was able to hear, I was able to see. And of course, over time that grows and grows and grows. It wasn't in perfection. It wasn't like, you know, I, I began to see and hear and I've just been, you know, it's been perfect ever since then. No, it's, it's, a, it's a walk with the Lord where we grow and we mature in that area. But at the same time, it opened up to me. And so when Jesus, one thing that we lost in the fall was spiritual sight and spiritual hear, he, hearing. And so I truly believe that on that cross, Jesus was experiencing what we experience when the sin of the world was entering into the body of Christ, into his servant body, when the sin of the world and darkness was on him. He was seeing through our broken lenses. He was experiencing what we experience. Have you ever felt like God um, was uh, forsaking you? Have you ever felt like because of your sin, God was not looking upon you, that God was disgusted with you? Have you ever felt like God was not operating and moving in your life. That is a lie. Separation is a lie. Because of sin, that lie propagates in our minds. That is the effects of sin. When when sin entered in, the lie enters in, and it causes us to feel a separation from God, but it is pseudo-reality. It is not real. It is fake. God is always wooing us, always in our lives, trying to draw us to truth, trying to draw us to himself. It is the spirit of truth that draws us to truth. We cannot come into truth except for the spirit of truth active and moving and operating in our lives. And so Jesus on that cross, he did not experience true separation from God, but he did receive our sin into his body. And because he received our sin into his body, he began to see through our broken lenses. He felt 
our sense of separation from God. He knew what it felt like to have sin for the first time on him and to see from our our, our deaf our, our, our blind eyes and our deaf ears. He felt forsaken by God, but he was not truly forsaken by God. And I want to hammer into this really quick here. There's some scriptures in John 10, verse 30. Jesus said, me and the Father are one. And he said that constantly. If you see me, you've seen the Father. There's many scriptures where Jesus refers to him and his Father as one, and the Spirit of God also one with them. And so was the Trinity separated on the cross? Absolutely not. And there's another scripture in John 16, 32. It says, behold, the hour is coming. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Behold, the hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, talking to his disciples because they scattered. When Jesus was taken in by the Roman officials and he was put on trial, his disciples were were terrified. They were scared and they scattered and they forsook him. And it says, he's telling them right now, he's prophesying to them, hey, an hour is coming and has already come where you will be scattered each to his own home and you will leave me alone, is what he told them. But he says, but I am not alone because my father is with me. So what he is saying here is that you guys, when I am on trial and when I am suffering and when I go to the cross, you guys will all scatter and you will leave me alone, but my father will not leave me alone. He will be with me. That is specifically speaking about the cross. And there's so many scriptures about this, but 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, this God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their wrongdoings against them and he has committed to us a word of reconciliation so this is crazy because it says that God was literally in Christ when he was on that cross reconciling the world to himself not counting our wrongdoings against us and now he has committed to us this word of reconciliation so he could preach this word out there to a lost world and so God was literally in Christ the Holy Spirit Jesus God, we're on the cross reconciling the world, doing that redemptive work on our behalf. So there was no separation between Jesus and God on that cross. And I want to I wanna break down Psalm 22 because Jesus was quoting Psalm 22. This is an extremely prophetic passage. And when Jesus quoted the first verse of Psalm 22, he knew exactly the theme of that psalm. He knew exactly what he was saying. He knew exactly what he was quoting. And there is a theme in this psalm. It, it, it literally outlines what Jesus experienced in his suffering, going to the cross, what he was experiencing on the cross. And so when Jesus quotes Psalm 22, verse 1, he's not just quoting verse 1. He is literally quoting the entire psalm. And so this is very important. I think this is going to open a lot of your eyes. And so Psalm 22, I'm going to read the entire thing to you. Psalm 22, it starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus said on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? How many people have felt like that before? God, you're so far from saving me. Are you even listening to my cries? Are you even listening to my prayers? Are you even listening to my groanings? Where were you? Where are you? That is humanity's cry. When sin entered in, that was humanity's cry. And Jesus entered into that paradigm when the sin of the world first entered his body on that cross. He was feeling what we feel, seeing as we see or not seeing as we don't often see. Verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, 
I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned by mankind and despised by people. I'm going to know that Jesus was scorned by mankind and despised by people. They mocked him. It says in verse 7, all who see me mock me and they make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Does that remind you of anything? When Jesus was being crucified, they said, let God deliver him. If he is a son of God, let God rescue him if God delights in him. That is literally what the mockers and the scoffers said while Jesus was being crucified. This was written thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth. This is such a prophetic psalm. In Psalm 9, I mean, in Psalm 22, verse 9, I continue, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. He overshadowed Mary. And (laughs) this is just talking about, you know, the incarnation right here. Verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there was no one to help. No one was there helping Jesus. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. The Roman officials, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were like bulls that surrounded the Lord. And they open wide their mouths at me like raving and roaring lions. But I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. On the cross, your your knees, they, they break the knees and all your bones become out of joint when you're hanging on the cross. My heart is like wax and it is melted within my chest and my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws for you lay me in the dust of death. How many of you know your tongue is stuck to your jaws? You have a dry mouth. Jesus said, I thirst on the cross. He said, I thirst. Verse 16, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. You can't even argue this here. They pierced the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was quoting this entire psalm. This is prophetic of his suffering on the cross. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They say that he was torn up so bad when they whipped him that you could see his bones on his back and his chest when he was hanging on the cross. They stare and they gloat over me. Verse 18, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. Wow. Remember when they cast lots for the for the fine robes of Jesus Christ, they cast lots. Roman officials drew lots for his clothing. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. You come to my help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of a congregation. I will praise you. And that's what Jesus did. He declared the gospel to his brothers and to to those who who are his own. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you offspring of Jacob. Glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted one. You hear that? Talking about God. God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted one. This is God and Jesus. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried out to him. 
So this verse here saying that while he was suffering, while he was on the cross, while all of this was taking place, God did not despise the affliction of Jesus Christ, and he has not hidden his face from Jesus, but he has heard when Jesus cried out to him. So he did not forsake Jesus in the cross. Verse 25, for you come, from you comes my praises in the great congregation. My vows I'll perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. This is the fruit of what will take place because of the suffering of Christ. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. They will seek God, praise God. Their hearts will live forever because of the suffering of the afflicted one. Verse 27, we're almost done here. Four or five more verses. It really ends with a bang. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. That's because of the suffering of Christ. The ends of the earth will turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. That couldn't happen unless Christ suffered. Verse 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Yes, he rules over the nations because of his suffering and his resurrection. Verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him. They shall bow down who go to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Jesus could not keep himself alive. He had to trust in his father to raise him from the dead. This is powerful. Verse 30, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. And yes, it shall. And it has because of Christ's work. The last verse, verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Hallelujah. Because all the generations of the world shall hear of the Lord. And it says like this, I'm going to read it one more time. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to people yet unborn because he has done it. Some versions say he has accomplished it. Other versions say he has finished it. How many know one of Jesus' most powerful phrases on that cross was, it is finished, it is completed, it is accomplished, he has done it. This is a prophetic psalm talking about the suffering of the Lord, the victory of the Lord, what he experienced on the cross. And so it says here in Psalm 22 that the Lord did not despise the affliction of the afflicted one and he has not hidden his face from him. God did not forsake Jesus on the cross, but when the sin of the world was entering into the body of Jesus, when he was entering into the body of Jesus, he saw through our broken lenses. There was he, he experienced our deafness and our blindness because of sin. That is the consequences of sin or the results of sin that we cannot see clearly in the spirit. We cannot hear clearly the very voice of God because of the blockage of sin. God does not turn his back on us. We're the ones that turn our back on him. God does not separate himself from us. We're the ones that separate ourselves from him. God does not forsake humanity. Humanity forsakes him. It is on our end. It is never on God's end. And the Lord is not too holy to look upon your sin. Where do we get that from? I'm going to read one more verse and I'm going to end it. I'm in preaching mode right now. Habakkuk 1 verse 12 and 13. This is Habakkuk and one of the prophets, one of the minor prophets. And he says this, are you not from time everlasting? Lord, my God, my Holy One. We will not die. You, Lord, have appointed them to deliver judgment. Oh, you, O rock, have destined them to punishment. Okay, verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look upon evil. This is where we get 
that mentality of God's too holy and too pure to look upon evil. It says it right here. Your eyes, O Lord, are too pure to look upon evil, and you cannot look at harm favorably. But why do you, O Lord, look favorably at those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked are swallowed up, when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? So he's pretty much saying, God, you're too pure and too holy to look at evil. Why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Why are you not doing anything when the wicked are swallowing up the righteous? Everything in the scriptures is truly stated, but everything in scripture is not statements of truth. I'm going to say this again. Everything in the scriptures were stated truly, meaning Habakkuk did say this, okay? He did say, God, you are too holy to look upon evil. Why are you doing this and why are you doing that? But it was not a statement of truth. Just like in the Psalms, King David oftentimes said, Oh Lord, why is this happening and why have you forsaken me and how come how come the righteous are devoured and how come you know the wicked are prospering and then he always came to the solution or the resolution of no God, you have never forsaken me. You are my stronghold, you are my rock, you are my you are you are my help in ever in times of need. The the righteous will will never be forsaken. They will never beg for bread. So it was humanity's viewpoint. It was our struggle. It was our thought processes. Yes, David truly said those things. Yes, Habakkuk truly said those things, but it came out of their frustration. It came out of their pain. It came out of their trauma. It came out of their brokenness, but they were not statements of truth. They eventually came to the point of stating things truly having statements of truth by saying, no, God, you are with me. You are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my stronghold. The reason why these things are in scripture and are not because every single line is a statement of truth. It's because as humanity, we are reading these these Psalms and we are reading the minor prophets and we have felt the way these prophets have felt before, the way King David has felt before. And so we can relate with them. We can say, okay, it's okay for me to feel forsaken by God. It's okay for me to feel like the wicked are prospering and the righteous are being abandoned. It's okay for me to feel this way, think this way, because the prophets of old, the men of old have thought this way, but they eventually came to the powerful truth of no, that was not the right thought process. I recognize those are my feelings, but that was not the right thought process. The truth is that you were always with me, that you will never forsake the righteous, that I'm loved, that you are there for me, that you are my light and my salvation. And so so we need to come to that um, same understanding here. So I'm going to hammer this in part two a little bit further about how God does not separate himself from us when we sin, but we separate ourselves from him. We're going to go into that in part two, but I hope this was enlightening for you. Um, I hope you are blessed by it. I hope it challenged you a little bit. I highly recommend that you dive into Matthew 27, verse 46, where Jesus said, God, why have you forsaken me? Go to Habakkuk 1, verses 12 and 13, and make sure I'm not lying to you. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, 19, where it says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Go to John, verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verse 32, where it says the Father did not leave him alone when he was on the cross. And read Psalm 22 devotionally before the Lord. Do some study there. Really drink it in. It is beautiful. It is such a powerful picture of what Jesus was feeling, how what he was experiencing on the cross, and not only that, the victory that the cross would bring from generation to generation, and that he has truly accomplished it, and Father never forsook him. Jesus was experiencing our sense of separation, our feelings of being forsaken. He was experiencing that sense of 
of forsakenness so that we never need to feel forsaken again. It wasn't that Jesus experienced separation from God because God was too holy to look upon the sin of the world that was falling upon the body of Jesus so that we will never be forsaken from God again. No, it goes deeper than that. God never forsakes anyone. God never pushes anybody out. God never withdraws from anyone. He's always drawing and wooing humanity and pursuing us relentlessly. But because of sin, we feel a sense of separation and forsakenness. And Jesus experienced that on the cross. His cry of God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Is our cry of God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Even though it's not reality, it is a true feeling that humanity experiences because of sin. And Jesus felt that way on the cross. He experienced what we feel so that we never need to experience that again. We could live in the truth of the gospel and know that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He never has and he never will. Bless you guys. Tune into part two of the Lie of Separation series. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It'll be a huge blessing so we can get this out to more people. Tell your family, your friends, you know, post it on social media, spread the word. If this has blessed you, make sure to do that so we can get it out to more people so they can be awakened by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless you guys, and I'll see you next time, or talk to you next time, excuse me, on Awaken Podcast. Blessings. Hello, everybody. Mike Lombardo here. Let me tell you about this amazing online store, The Hope Filled Journey. Um, I definitely want to check that out today. Michelle and Renee Torres, they started up an online store in obedience to the Holy Spirit in the midst of a crazy year, full-time jobs, raising four small children. They stepped out in faith, and God is honoring it every step of the way. It's www.thehopefilledjourney.com. This is where you'll find extraordinary products, clothes, fashion accessories, jewelry and more you'll be able to find amazing clothes for spring handmade jewelry their goal is to inspire faith through through their product line as well as high quality in all they do and produce check it out it's the hopefilledjourney.com and also if you today if you go well you have a promo code awaken promo code awaken if you go to the website you can get 25 percent off of all full priced items and all orders over $60 will ship free. And so that's 25% off today, all full price items, and any orders, $60 or more, will ship free. And so make sure to go to the website, that is www.thehopefilledjourney.com, and make sure to use promo code AWAKEN. <music>